Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Matchball. The podcast is brought to you by Levi Solicitors. There's 10% off your legal fees at levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. Exciting times. 30 years ago today, the big match is in town. The cameras, the lights, the commentators, Trevor Bloody Francis. It's all arriving at Ellen Road for our home match against Everton. This is what Bill Fotherby wanted. He said in the uh, the Yorkshire Evening Post, it's so excited about this game being on television. Do you think um, we mentioned the City game at Main Road was our first league match ever broadcast live? This is the first league match broadcast live from Elland Road. So the YEP brought out a special supplement that you had to buy separately. And in there was an interview with Bill Fotherby saying, our aim was to win promotion, which we duly went on to do, to make a mark in the first division, which I suggest we are now doing and to make the club popular enough and good enough to feature on big match television and to get back into Europe. Well, this is big match television. And some sensational stuff in that YEP special. The infographic is an absolute delight. There is an aerial view of Ellen Road looking down from the southwest corner over towards the cop, and all sorts of letters and arrows denoting what's going on at Ellen Road. Things like it's, it's telling us that riggers will come in and lay cables back to the control room. That's that's how cameras work, kids. It is actually a beautifully drawn little infographic. The cameraman at the front looks great. Ellen's Road looks magnificent. There's some beautiful drawings of articulated trucks. That camera's huge, though. I mean, that's that's too big to put in the stadium. And just a, well, just a second, though. Hang on a second. Let's just go back to the trucks, because there are two different types of trucks here. There is a 50-foot articulated truck. Two of them. And then a 30-foot truck. It looks, not... like, looks like a six-axle, the 50-foot one. It is a big one. And that's we're not even including yet the uh, two support vehicles and the catering wagons. And the 55-strong team who make this happen. And what they've done there is they've dotted 55 people about the place. In no particular order. You think they would have been stood sort of maybe in a, a neat line or you know maybe a, an 11 by 5 grid, but no. There is, uh, there is some very 1990 uh, stuff in the list of people who are coming presenter, guest presenter, commentator, cameraman, but then also makeup lady. So that's uh, <laughs> very defined roles in uh, 1990. And, and among the guests... Well, look, we know girls can't operate cameras and boys can't do makeup. So I don't know what your problem is. But they do know all about... Uh, no, I'm not going to do the ugly and the stink joke. Um <laughs> Do you know that joke? Yes, yeah, yeah. Why yeah. do women wear yeah, you've done makeup and perfume? Yeah. Because they're ugly and they stink. Um, but not ugly or stinking. Jack Charlton is amongst the people at this, and there's an interview with him um, also in the supplement where he says, uh, 
he's very happy to be in the, the ITV studio for this one because he was going to buy a ticket for the game and this means he gets paid for being there instead. Very practical way of looking at it. While we're talking about the TV coverage and stuff, actually, on the studio, it looks a lot like they're in a shed. I think in the days now of a very modern looking... Um, VR kind of... Yeah. yeah, like screens everywhere and at least a bit of modern furniture as a bare minimum. This looks for all the world like they've got some bare chipboard behind them. How dare you? suggest that Bill Fotherby's South Stand executive boxes were anything less than superb. If anybody's not seen the story of, of those, and that's what they were using for this studio in John Howe's only place for us, H said of Elland Road, they are porter cabins and they're the ones that are still there. He he went to some game at like a non league match where somebody had kitted out porter cabins as kind of executive suites and was hit upon the idea well, I mean, these are beautiful. They're beautiful inside. I bet he got a calculator out of his bag there and then and sort of went, how much are these? So that's basically what... And if I charge... Hmm. That's what they are at the back of the south stand is there's a row of porter cabins and then they kind of give them a facade so that you can't see that they're just porter cabins bolted into the south stand. But yeah, the um, the match team, they didn't have a uh, perhaps an interior decorator lady who could have come along and, and prettied the place up a little bit. Let's run through the sides then. John Lukic, Mel Sterling, Peter Haddock, Chris Fairclough, Chris White, our back four and goalkeeper. Across midfield, the famous four, Strachan, McAllister, Speed and Batty with Carl Schott and Lee Chapman up front. Subs for this one, Glyn Snodin and John Pearson. On Everton's team then, Neville Southall, who we saw protesting, leaning against the post back in August. Neil McDonald, Kevin Ratcliffe, Raymond Atavelt. We've got Dave Watson, Martin Keown, John Eberl, Peter Beagrey, Stuart McCall. Is this Mike- a Bradford game? <laughs> Stuart McCall, Mike Newell and Graham Sharp. We've got Pat Nevin and Tony Cotty on the bench, both very attacking there. And not forgetting that Everton are managed now by Howard Kendall after he quit Man City earlier in the season. You remember we, we caught Man City in that game over at Main Road just after he'd left and Peter Reid was put in temporary charge. Conversely, the better Howard, Wilkinson, this is his 100th league match as Leeds United manager. One forty-seven, drawn 32 lost 20, and his assessment of his time in charge, all in all, that is as much as you can expect. <laughs> Cheers, Howard. <laughs> the master of understatement, that fella. Uh, fantastic. But we're getting a nice settled team now. I think that's got to be helping. I feel like the John Pearson experiment is over. Cal Shutt has cemented his place. Well, Shutt is absolutely instrumental in helping us take the lead, isn't he? He is, and two quality goals here make it 2-0 to Leeds United. Because we're ace. And we are not losing many games, and that is the key to success, isn't it? I think the the nice thing with the first goal is that it's McAllister doing some nice things because you kind of expect that when you paid a lot of money for it. But to see Cal Shutt getting involved with it as well, nice little one-two between them. It's a it is a lovely one-two. That little back heel, yeah, the little touch from Cal uh, Shutt kind of gets um, overshadowed by what comes afterwards. But it's a beautiful touch to send McAllister into the box, and then that thug, that big strong lout, John Ebrell who my main memory of John Ebrell was he always looked like the one first division footballer who I could probably take in a fight 12 years old as I was and not much different in terms of physique from then to now. But I'll still take him. If you're out there, John Ebrell, you and me, let's fucking go. Actually, I would pay good money to facilitate this now. Now he's he's offered that challenge. I was going to say, you have just massively incentivised us and probably everyone listening to this. It's a, do you know John Ebrill, a podcast at the squareball.net? In fact, Moscow, should we give you a direct phone number so we can ring you up? He's probably a fucking bodybuilder now, isn't he? <laughs> Take it straight to the streets. <laughs> 
So that first one, yeah, it's a beautiful one too that uh, involves a back heel in the area. McAllister goes to ground under the vicious challenge of John Eberle. And Trevor Francis, though, in the commentary on this, he's he's got something to say about this. That he thinks he's a bit of a bit of a diver. Thank you very by much. Mo- by modern standards, he doesn't go down easily. He gets an obvious shove and goes down. Yeah, this isn't um, Pervader against Chelsea or anything like that, is it? It's he has been pushed over, and uh, Jack Charlton is in the, as we said in the, the studio at halftime. He's a bit more circumspect. He's just like, yeah, he's he's going to shoot. He's he's shoved him off the ball of his penalty, and then says um, Elton Wellsby with him tries to put him on the spot a little bit and says, uh, now now Jack, you told me that you thought Neville Southall was going to save this penalty. To which Jack Charlton is like, well, yes. It'd be, it would be one of those, ah, I've got you there. It's like, yeah. It's, he, I thought Neville Southall would know which way Gordon Strachan would shoot, and I thought he'd save it. That's how he sounded, did he? It's pretty much. Pretty close. It's not far, far off. It's um, more or less straight down the middle is the penalty, isn't it, in the end? Yeah, Twite puts his boot right through it, straight down the middle of the net. Southall yeah. jumps out the way. So one of the hallmarks of this Wilkinson side is the strong start, and we're 1-0 up inside 17 minutes, and it very much was the order of the day at Ellen Road was to come right out of the blocks and try and get a lead early doors, borne out by the fact that 18 of the last 22 goals have been scored in the first half. Not yet, because that includes our second goal. Which came after about, what, 25 minutes or, or thereabouts. And this was, uh, it adds, you know, we, we described a number of goals across this season as being sort of typically Wilkinson-esque in their formation. You could argue this one, coming from a set piece as it did, that it followed that same pattern. Melvin Sterland, as Jack gives him his full name, doesn't he, at halftime, I noticed, which is nice. He gets to the near post, flicks it to the, well, sort of nods it to the back post, and Cal Shutters evaded his marker, scores a goal. It's nicely worked. Very easily evaded his marker. He basically just walks away from him. Um, <laughs> yeah, the marker runs out and he runs in. Jack seems a little bit sceptical about this at halftime. It's, it's, it's a bad cross, but Strachan, I think this is, um, and I've, I'm sure I've seen goals similar to this or attempts similar to this, um, that little outswinger and Sterling running to the front post, nodding it onto the back post. Um, it's all played for. You can see, because when Charlton said that, Jack Charlton is a, it was pointed out after he died. I can't, I think it was Jonathan Wilson mentioned his commentary on the 1980 European Cup final when Nottingham Forest played. He said he'd watched that back and been struck by how often Jack Charlton said something and then it happens on the pitch. That he's spot on. So I thought I'd see, make my own mind up to see whether he was right. And he's bang wrong. Because you can see Mel Sterling is, is making that run and shut moves and everybody's doing exactly the things. All the moving parts are happening exactly as they should. And it's a really good goal, really good um, finish by Schultz at the back post and clever header by Sterling. But they will have rehearsed it hundreds of times. So no wonder it worked. So just to put you in the picture, it's a corner in the, the northeast corner and Strachey twats it quite hard towards the near post, probably about level with the penalty spot, I would say a sort of line drawn between the penalty spot and the near post, and Mel Sterling flicks it on towards the back post into the corridor of uncertainty, as it's known these days, and then shut slams it home, and Neville Southall is angry and kicks the ball back into the net in frustration, showing that frustration against Leeds again. Southall, we know he had his uh, his leaning against the post protest earlier at the first game of the season. He's not happy in this one. I noticed later on, still in the first half, he punches across clear, and you know, normally a, a goalkeeper would sort of shuffle backwards to get in position. He looks so pissed off that this cross has come in. He basically just turns his back on the game and walks back into his goal mouth with his back to what's happening and then turns around to see where they've, where they've got to. Oh, they're going to have another shot. Are they have to save that as well, will I? Just so, so weariness. But um, 
connoisseurs of Leeds United corners would notice that in the second half of this game, there is another corner kick routine that is famous from the Aston Villa match in November 1991. In the future. We are flashing into the future, but it's the one where Strachan takes a, a short corner to McAllister and then he back heels it to Strachan and he runs along the goal line and crosses it and Lee Chapman taps it in. They try that here, um, which I'd not seen before until I watched this match and it doesn't come off. Uh, McAllister gets tackled just as he's back heeling it to Strachan. Somebody spotted what they're happening, but it's interesting to see this, the kind of the development that that Villa game, it wasn't something they tried it once and it, it, it worked magically. They kept trying these things and um, maybe maybe Marcelo Bielsa could look at these things and see there is some value in a set piece because Howard Wilkinson absolutely had that nailed down. Strachan and McAllister starting to do form a really nice partnership in midfield now as well. The whole, well, the whole midfield. Batty playing out wide more than I'm used to seeing him as well. I think maybe in his later career, was he, do you tend to stick more centrally? Whereas in this, it feels very fluid, does that midfield. Speed tends to always be out on the left, but the other three are just wandering wherever they want, more or less. Batty has said since that this was his favourite season um, at Leeds, certainly in the first phase, because there was that freedom to do what he wanted later on. The championship season, he played a lot more like Calvin Phillips does now, where he's kind of dropping between Fairclough and White and defending more. But yeah, because Strachan's got such a free role and is doing so much damage in central midfield, David Batty is drifting out to the right a lot more. And it's interesting with Speed being a, a youngster at this point, when Trevor Francis is is praising our, our midfield, and I've seen some other references, people at this point are talking about Strachan, McAllister, Batty, brilliant midfield. And Gary Speed hasn't really found his, his place in that, mainly because he's kind of just staying on, on the left. And he's, um, he's probably a bit of a third attacker. We're not doing 4-3-3 or anything like that, but it's certainly his, his job is to stay left, stay forward, and the other three are kind of dominating midfield without him. And he was always there as an outlet if you wanted to put a ball cross field towards his head. Like Melvin Sterling does at one point in the second half, there's a cross field, I think it's a 150-yard aerial pass that just drops perfectly on Gary Speed's foot, and it is fantastic. And there's the... um. There's the bit in the first half as well where I think Strachan breaks from a, an Everton corner, I think, and he's, uh, he's sort of tackled. It's probably John Ebrell's tried to have a nibble at him but can't win the ball. So he keeps the ball and then just kind of nips it away to McAllister who then gives it back to him and then Strachan back heals it back to McAllister and they play a through ball to Chapman and Chapman's about 10 miles offside. But it's just, yeah, there's some very, very nice football going on in here. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. So two nil up inside twenty-five minutes. What's the rest of the game shaping up like? Second half, they do improve a bit, but without really creating any chances. Still, they they bring on Pat Nevin, who causes us some problems. But I think they don't really have a proper chance until right at the end. There's a, there's a when Pat Nevin fails to go past John Lukic, he's doing a bit of a mazy run and eventually hesitates a bit and gets crowded out. But that's in about the 89th, 90th minute. And up to that point, I don't think they really had much, had they? They had a good chance. Lee Chapman played a very uh, efficient through ball to Tony Cotty, who would also come on, um, helping them out a little bit. I'm not sure what he was trying to achieve at that point. They'd been to Eindhoven in the week and played Bobby Robson's PSV to kind of raise morale seems to be the thing. Howard Kendall's just taken them over and he's trying to work out who, what his best team is and all this this stuff. And they won. They beat PSV 2-1 with goals from Tony Cotty and Pat Nevin and then he started them both on the bench um, in this game. And then when they came on, Nevin in particular, he worries us a little bit. There's um, uh, Glyn Snodden is brought on in place of uh, Gary Speed to help out Peter Haddock at left back. Um, Speed, it's kind of, he's, he's not really sure what to do against this little Smiths fan. And we, we make that change to kind of shore things up. But yeah, it, it got um, a little bit, not as uh, thrilling in the, the second half, but we'd won. So it was, you know, if you've won the game in the first 25 minutes, you can just leave it at that and then try and withstand um, all the brutal assaults that Everton have to offer. Knowing the lifestyles of early 90s footballers, you do wonder how much a midweek trip to Holland has really benefited them. Because... <laughs> They probably didn't have a, a quiet orange juice in the hotel after that victory. And and Howard Kendall was probably not the, the manager to uh, to impose that kind of discipline no, no. on a, a trip like that. One or two Arangi booms in the uh, in the hotel bar and all that. Well, what you mentioned there, Moscow, actually, was very characteristic of what you see happening in this game. There was a lot of physicality and one or two tackles that by 2020 standards, you kind of recoil in horror at and you're like, that's a red card, that's a red card, that's a red card. Stuart McCall described uh, before the game by the Evening Post's Mike Casey as the £850,000 midfield beaver could have been sent off at least twice. Yeah, his first challenge that he makes on Lukic in the first half is almost overlooked because Lukic doesn't make any fuss about it, but he very clearly goes to do him. And it's the sort of thing that if you did it to, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a goalkeeper who would make a fuss these days. I was all th- of them. All Anyone of them. would because Lukic has caught the ball and is about to go and take a goal kick and Stuart McCall runs up and kicks him. Yeah, and the referee is going to let him get away with it until he says something to him. Basically, it sums up referees in some ways, does this, that he's just allowed him to kick someone, but then he says <laughs> something to him and he goes, too far. I will not have that sort of lip. I, I don't mind you injuring people, trying to hurt, trying to break legs. That's fine, but you've got to respect me. So he gets booked for that and then he fails to book him again in the second half. Well, the ref is Roger Dilks, who I, it's funny because we were watching the, the highlights of this and I identified him by sight. I went, his name's Dilks or something, isn't it? It's funny how these these names stick. Maybe it was the beard. He had a magnificent beard. I was trying to work out as well. I think he keeps his um, his pencil in his sock because when he was when he was booking McCall, you could tell he was going to do it because he kind of lifts his knee up and gets something out of his sock. And I was he did it again later, but I think he already had his pen in his hand, so I'm not sure if he was a bit confused. It's like, where's my pen? Oh, I've already got it. But yeah, it seemed like that's his thing: notebook in his pocket, pen in his sock, um, and just letting everybody get on with whatever. Because McCall absolutely scythes down David Batty later on and it's just well it's another straight red by modern standards <laughs> but he's been booked for descent so uh, you get a free one 
And is, yeah. it, is this Raymond Atterveld as well? Is that he's the one who, who lunges at Strachan's Achilles? <laughs> the Atterveld one. I mean, the first thing about this is Strachan having an absolutely superb game again. And his positioning on this, it's like, it's magic. Everton are attacking. It's gone a bit end-to-end and Everton are rushing at us. And I think it's McCall on the right wing. Plays across. And somehow, Gordon Strachan is just there to just, ah, oh, ball just comes to his feet. And it's like, this Strachan is running this game. And he starts running through the centre of the pitch. He crosses the, the halfway line. And yeah, Raymond Atterveld uh, decides he's not having that. So <laughs> he just jumps through... Uh, the back of his ankle. And it's hard, unless you've seen this footage and do look it up, to overstate just how much of a red card the foul this is. He goes, studs up, off the floor, straight at Strachan's Achilles heel think, without any attempt at the ball. I think just saying he goes for his Achilles is underselling it. I think he eventually, I think he starts off going for the back of the knee, but then because of the, <laughs> the follow through of the tackle, it goes some, it goes down the calf and down onto the Achilles. It's, it's an awful, awful challenge. It's, I know... It's two red cards. I know we kind of say about the game going a bit soft and players going down too easily and making the fuss and stuff. But Gordon Strachan makes basically no fuss about this. And it's it's appalling. Like, it is the sort of thing that could very easily end someone's career. <laughs> it's, this, it's this thing throughout the game, though. There's one, Peter Beagrey's getting annoyed in the first half because at one point he tries to go past Mel Sterland and Mel Sterland just basically steps in front of him and makes him look a fool. And not long afterwards, he tries to do Chris Fairclough. And Chris mm. Fairclough being the no-nonsense, sort of quiet, hard man he is, just gets on with it. But, it's some awful, awful stuff going on in it. There's a little bit more between um, Mike Newell and Mel Sterland, and um, I think Newell ends up being booked for going in late on Sterland, and they've, but that's been building for a while. But it was generally Newell just kept trying to kick him and then getting annoyed because he couldn't get near him to kick him. And um, I think Sterland at one point kind of completely takes the piss, just kind of pulls the ball away from him. You, you, you're not getting the ball off me today, Mike Newell. And then um, right at the end, that's. Uh, paragon of footballing virtue Martin Keown straight through David Batty right in front of the dugouts as well and probably this one is one of those sorry to interrupt I was going to say this is one of those tackles where somebody's got it in the right back position and they're advancing up the line and you'll see somebody flying across from like the inside left position getting ready just to launch themselves and you think don't do it don't do it oh he's done it and right in front of the bench as well I mean the Atterveld one, if that's worth two, three red cards, this is probably just one. I think there's just one red card in this. But it is surprising that there's not, everybody's not off the bench. You know, Mick Hennigan isn't out there trying to st- uh, strangle Martin Keon. Keon just trots away until Roger Dilks, with a, a big smile on his friendly beardy face, is like, come on. I know, I mean, 89th minute, but I'm still going to have to book you for that one. And of course, Bassey, he, he, he rolls, but then he gets up and he's looking around. It's not, I'm rolling around faking an injury it's rolling around because that really hurts but I want to get up so I can find out who did that and get them back points in the bank then cements our place in fifth position on 30 points after 17 games in this season so the significant results uh, among the runners and riders from this weekend in the middle of December we've got Liverpool at home to Sheffield United with a 2-0 victory so they go back top of the division Arsenal are in second 17 games in still unbeaten but this weekend they drew 2-2 at Highbury with Wimbledon. Palace above us beat Luton 1-0, Man City 2, Spurs 1, and Spurs are just in front of us in fourth position in the table. And just beneath us in the table, Manchester United, who draw 2-2 at Highfield Road against Coventry. But the mental result from this weekend is Derby County 4, Chelsea 6, which probably warrants a whole podcast of its own at some point in the future. Not that it's anything to do with us, but that's just suitably insane enough, isn't it, when you get 10 goals in a game, as we well know. 
fifth position for Leeds, 30 points. We've got Tottenham in fourth on 30, Palace on 33, and then we've got Arsenal out in front on 39 with Liverpool on 41 at the top of the table. Something we mentioned uh, around the Man United game was the England B International in Algeria, which finished nil-nil, but was not without incident. Well, it was already with incident with poor old David Batty trying to get there and his car's been broken into and then there's snow and he has to get on a plane from Leeds Bradford that he wasn't already booked on and all that kind of stuff. And then Worth it though. <laughs> he got, he got uh, to go, as it says in the commentary for this game, the highlights are available on YouTube, the edge of the Sahara Desert, no less. And there's the, there's a slightly, uh, what you might consider by 2020 standards, uh, slightly xenophobic undertone to all this kind of, can't believe they've got TV cameras in Algeria these days. Well done for bringing the tape back with us, England. Yes, it's Steve Ryder on Sports Nights is saying, um, talking about what's happened in this game. Said, we, the, uh, the, the FA have brought a tape of the game back and they've brought it straight to the Sports Night studio so that we can show you highlights from this game. And he does stress then, Graham Taylor does have a full 90-minute tape of this match that he will be watching. I mean, he was there as well, so he knows what happened. But, um, I bet Marcelo Bielsa's watched it as well. Oh, He'll have uh, he'll have wanted to see why Neil Webb was sent off, which is really the big uh, the big story. Well, the stories from the game are thirty minute floodlight failure, huge storm, so it's absolutely pissing it down. And there's a there's a great clip of the lads on the Algerian bench huddled. And under. they don't normally get rain in this part of the world in the desert. Like yeah. pensioners at, at the seaside, aren't they? All <laughs> little blankets under the, on the bench, all tucked up to their uh, to their necks as well, like right under their chins, and then. Brian Robson gets booked for David Burrows' tackle. So that's one thing that happens. And then Neil Webb, I mean, we've been talking about tackling. There's a tackle on Neil Webb. I, it's, I mean, to say. To, to say that some of the industrial, uh, some of the stuff against Everton was industrial, this is, we all watched it and we went, oh. it's, it's like um, if you've ever seen someone do the long jump, it's yeah. that, yeah, but into a man's legs. Two, so that, two footed, studs up, off the floor, no sandpit though. And uh, Neil Webb... Manchu isn't Algeria sandpit in itself. And Neil Webb, for whom we have no sympathy because he's a scum player and shit, he's been out for a long time with a lot of injuries and so he grabs his uh, um, his attacker by the neck, which is enough for the referee to say, well, you can't have that on a football field, can you? And, um, and sends him off. And you can't be sent off playing for England. That's very, very frowned upon. So the headlines were, even though it was an England B international, there was still... Is Neil Webb going to be allowed to play for England anymore after bringing red card disgrace upon the country? And I think that's part of why the footage on Sports Night was the such queen. a... He's brought disgrace on the Queen, huh? But now we can see it. We can see that he was actually wronged by a foreigner. Um, therefore, <laughs> we, we reappraise what this happened. And it wasn't even... Uh, it's even made the point on the, the commentary on the BBC that a red card in a, a B international, there is no disciplinary action. There is no, it doesn't matter. It's automatically... There's no automatic ban. But can we just let that go? Do the FA have to punish him? Won't somebody think of Her Majesty? And obviously the reason why this is relevant is uh, David Batty went and he got to watch, didn't play, but Mel Sterling started the game. He played the first half. Uh, John Lukic was there as well. Um, His first England representation since uh, 1981 or something like that. It was a long time. Mel Sterling had played for the proper England team before this. Um, So he was back in the, the frame. Lukic came on for the second half, replacing Nigel Martin, a young up-and-coming goalkeeper who started the match for England. The rest of the team was Gary Mabbott, Gary Pallister was replaced by Gary Ablett, Brian Robson, Nigel Clough, Alan Smith, not the good one, Danny Wallace, not the good Wallace, and then Ian Wright and Jeff Thomas were all out there as well. And uh, so Lukic and Sterland 
Mbappé got to watch. That was our England involvement. It's um, well, the, the FA haters, Moscow. That's what it is. They just they despise Leeds United. Well, we've gone through all the trouble of uh, of, have, of forcing the council to make plans to extend Elland Road so that we can host games at the 1998 World Cup. Which I'm confident we'll get. And then again in 2006. Not without Elland Road on the list. That's the first mistake. Two Sheffield grounds, no ground in Leeds. The council are going to protest to the FA about this because they don't think it's fair. Don't deserve this World Cup, do they? I won't worry about it. <laughs> Why? <laughs> You'll see. Oh, okay. Maybe get ready for 2018. And in amongst all this, while FIFA are dicking about trying to pick uh, World Cup hosts, there are proposals um, swilling around about them increasing the size of the goals, reducing teams to tennis side, playing four quarters, you know, all that kind of jazz. Mental. Ron Atkinson had quite a good solution. He said instead of making the goals bigger, um, he proposed a maximum height for goalkeepers, which I think says the uh, the, the level of credence. This is all ahead of... Um... I mean, there's, there's a touch of kind of, I don't know, uh, sort of... Uh, eugenics about this, isn't there? Hang on a second. So if the goalkeepers get above five foot nine, what do we do with them? He they propos- must be forced to retire. He actually proposed five foot four. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what he said. It's all. I, I just want to say for clarity that Ron Atkinson is not a believer in eugenics. No, he was, <laughs> he was joking hugely in the Football Supporters Association. I've had problems with all of this. They were angry about FIFA's proposals because it's pandering to the USA hosting the World Cup. Everybody thinks these ideas is just because um, they want to make the game more entertaining um, ahead of the the World Cup in America. But then they were also annoyed about Howard Wilkinson um, and his response to this because he said... (laughs) This is great. Sport... Make it sound as dour as you can, Moscow, because it needs to be delivered in that way. Sport, not entertainment. It's an activity for the benefit of the participants. If you run away from that, you run the risk of having the wrong pipers Calling the tune. And we may as well go straight into his uh, his explanation of this. He doubled down after people protested. He said, Gordon Strachan, he doesn't go out to entertain. He goes out to play. People like to see boxers knocked out and crashes at motor racing events. But boxers do not go into fights to be knocked out. And drivers do not intend to crash their cars. It's different with the Harlem Globetrotters. They go out with the express intention of entertaining. And the, the New York Reading Post got bored with them quoting him at that point and just summarised the rest of his thoughts. And basically saying, it's not entertainment and fun that attracts the public. It's intense competition and high levels of skill. And that the more that uh, footballers and sportsmen are left alone by the bureaucrats to develop their skills, then sports becomes attractive. Not all this silly talk of big goals and fun. Imagine sitting Marcelo Bielsa down with Howard Wilkinson and getting them to discuss those comments about a lack of entertainment. It would be quite something. I'm not sure they'd necessarily disagree as much as you think, because what he's really saying is don't make daft rule changes about bigger goals and quarters to make it better. The game isn't really broken, so don't fix it, is what he's trying to say, which when you see VAR in action, you can kind of understand that viewpoint. There's another time that he kind of came across this with um, way in the future, I think 95 when we drew nil-nil in the FA Cup with Liverpool and Jimmy Hill was, it was live on the BBC and Jimmy Hill was very upset. And um, Howard Wilkinson pointed out, he said, well, Liverpool beat us 5-0 earlier in the season and I'm not, I'm not sending a Leeds team out for the benefit of Jimmy Hill. What does he want us to do? Does he want us to me to say, concede a couple of own goals, do some juggling, throw the ball in your net and then everybody will be happy? Is that what he wants me to tell my team? Or defensive, keep it tight and try and win. And uh, 
Wilco the Wally was the response to this. So uh, one tabloid, nameless, I don't know which one it was, they did a, a picture of him with a Dunce's cap on his on his head with the headline, Wilco the Wally, next to him for saying sport is not entertainment. Well, it was entertaining enough for the near 28,000 who were at Ellen Road for the Everton victory. 2-0, as you know, meaning five victories in eight and undefeated in eight now, stretching back to the Aston Villa away game, the 0-0 draw on the 27th of October. Prior to that, it was Queen's Park Rangers at home where we lost to that Roy Wegerley goal. 20th of October since we were last defeated. And we move on to Roker Park next on the 23rd of December, just as we approach Christmas when we face Sunderland away. We'll speak to you then. The Match Ball. 